Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I am Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita and Peter Sagal. Here I am. Come on, here she comes. No, hold on, we get this right. What is that? Watch out, here she comes. She's a man eater. I'm very excited. Oh, there I'm we go. Very excited. You're very excited. Here she comes. I can't hold back my excitement. Okay, great. <laughs> Trisha, how you feeling over there? Everybody on track? Oh yeah. I'm not sure I'm quite as excited as you. You should be. But I'll try to I'll try to match it. All right, good. So this week on the podcast, we are recapping season six, episode seven of Game of Thrones. This episode is called The Broken Man. Where we have what I was starting to call Green Dorn. Green oh, Come on. <laughs> not everything is Dorn. Everything that's not the wall or marine, I just call a variation of Dorn. But it was the Riverlands. What about Verdant Dorn? Verdant Dorn. Lovely (laughs) Dorn. Dorn. Doomed Dorn. It was actually quite lovely. I was like, are we in another universe? It really was. I was These people seem nice and it's very green. You knew knew as soon as you saw the smiling children and the people cooperating and serving out food, they were all doomed. It felt yeah. like in uh, the Divergent series how there's like the one group of people that are just the happy, selfless people. And I was like, oh, these people cannot <laughs> oh, exist yes. no, in no, the Game no, of no, Thrones no, universe. No. It's not going no, no, to work no. out well for anybody who's happy. So did anyone recognize Ian McShane? <laughs> yes. Well, oh my I, God. I am not uh, like apparently the rest of the civilized world a, a Deadwood watcher. Oh. I missed it. What can I tell you? I feel like you should know him from other things. Yeah, I knew though. who he was. He's been yeah. around for yeah. so long. But yeah, it he's is, one it of is. those guys. And I don't know. Um, Trisha, the maester of the internets, would know this. <laughs> that Ian McShane gave away what yeah. his role would be in this season in a in an interview, and then because he knew he'd been killed off within a single episode, yeah. so why did he care? What he the didn't show care, and wanted? apparently he spoke <laughs> of our favorite show in rather disparaging terms. Our Mister <laughs> McShane, oh, yeah, but it was not. But I will say, it, for, for all the Deadwood fans out there, it was nice to see Swearingen back. Swearingen. <laughs> you know what was interesting too? Actually, boyfriend pointed this out. There was a scene before the opening credits. We call that a cold open. It doesn't we do. happen often on the show. I, and it really I, doesn't. I have, as I often do, a theory, which is that they wanted to reveal Sandor Clegane's return, and we haven't seen him in a whole season, before you saw Rory McCann's name in the credits. Uh, fair. Because fair. he gets his name in the credits. I'm assuming due to his contract, that stuff is carefully negotiated. And if you saw his name in the credits, you'd be like, wait a minute, Ayo. Sandor Clegane's coming back. Yeah. So they had to do it in a cold open. Which was pretty well done with the five guys carrying the log and the five guys carrying the log and then the one guy <laughs> carrying the log. It was good. It yeah. was good. I liked it. I also, I mean, I thought that the two of them were great. I, I you know, not uh-huh. that I really needed more than just this one episode to know that the hound was alive and needs to get back to business. But I did like Ian McShane and I thought that it was fun to see sort of like the hippy-dippy version of The Seven that's uh-huh. like, yeah. we just hang in the woods and it's fine. And wait to be murdered. Everybody's <laughs> This cool. is Westeros. It reminded me so much of this episode from, I think, the third season of the original Star Trek where they find a group of hippies. <laughs> and I, I actually, I, I went and watched a clip and posted it on Twitter. And, it, and it's very different, but it's so very much the same. As all these, hey man, why we can't we just be at peace? What's with your war? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is, is not going good. to end well. It was kind of a nice reminder that there are just you know scores upon scores of normals in this universe. <laughs> yes. 
that are either going to be burned to death by a dragon or eaten by a White Walker probably at some point. Right, I mean, they're still doomed. Yeah, in in the book they're called small folk, and they're always coming to no good end. You know, there's no no peasant in the entire universe of Game of Thrones who, who, who lives to a ripe old age. It just doesn't happen. They're always found eviscerated quite literally or burned <laughs> or hung or raped or both or all eight oh. or whatever. <laughs> so did you like this storyline enough to find it worth I, it felt a little to me like it felt kind of tiresome in terms of getting the hound back to his vengeful self. There's a reason you're still here. Uh, there's a reason I'm a big fucker and I'm tough to kill. No a reason. God's on dumb with you yeah. I've heard that before. Man was talking about a different god, though. Well, maybe he was right. I don't know much about the gods. You're in the wrong line of work. Oh, there's plenty of pious sons of bitches who think they know the word of God or gods. I don't. I don't even know their real names. Maybe it is the seven. Or maybe it's the old gods. Or maybe it's the Lord of Light. Or maybe they're all the same fucking thing. I don't know. What matters... I believe, is that there's something greater than us. And whatever it is, it's got plans for Sandor Clegane. Well. I liked it. You liked it? I mean, I liked Ian McShane enough that I felt okay about it, but it was also like, really, was the whole point of this just to get the hound back in the game? Pretty much. I feel like that was inevitable, wasn't it? Just to say it, this is far beyond where the book went. In the book, there is a hint. The, the other characters, or rather I should say in the books, I don't remember which book it is, other characters encounter this Septon, who is Brother Ray? Yeah. Ray? <laughs> yes. Here's Sandor. Isn't that a brand of barbecue Here's Sansa. sauce? Hi, I'm Brother Ray. Ray. Sweet baby Ray's. <laughs> I'm Brother Ray, and this is Peasant Mitch and Peasant Bob. And we make BBQ. <laughs> and there is, uh, they, they meet this guy, and he is more or less what you see, this very well-meaning Septon who actually seems to be one of the few good guys in Westeros. Who He's just, like a rock and roll Septon. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little he bit. he really is. He's a hip, cool Septon who the kids like. <laughs> He's got nice teeth. <laughs> he does, which is another unusual thing you'd think in a world like this. Um, but in the book, there is a hint that he has somehow found and rescued Sandor Clegane. But that is never confirmed. You never actually hear Sandor Clegane saying, hey, here I am. So they picked up that hint from the books, if it was a hint of something, went with it, and played out the storyline in the course of a one fifty-minute episode, which was something. And we are to believe that those were the Brotherhood Without Banners guys who then yes. came back with a few more guys. Not that many were needed, really, because they didn't have weapons. Yes. And just slaughtered. Yes. All those happy hippies. Yeah, I wonder who Why, is in charge really? of the Brotherhood of the Banners, because, geez, it wouldn't mm. really have been Lord Barry. He wasn't like that way back when in season two or whatever it was. He was sort of a nice guy. So Someone with a heart of stone. Yes, you uh. think? <laughs> somebody who's rather Some vengeful. old lady. And somebody who likes to hang people, because you remember that whole sequence ended up with everybody being slaughtered, but then him finding the mm-hmm. hanged body. So that's a strange little quirk that they would want to hang somebody. Who likes to do that? Someone who's really adamant about the Red God and yes. not so adamant about the Seven. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, so I think, like I said, my prediction that where we're going for the big reveal at the end of this season, I think, is even more firm than it was when I pulled it out of my ass two weeks ago. My internet sleuthing <laughs> reason for thinking you're right is that there was a interview that someone from the visual effects team or prosthetic team, yeah. I can't remember which, did a, f- a few, you know, maybe months before the new season started and I found it, and it said basically that there's something they've been wanting to do since the end of the season where the Red Wedding happens. Yeah. 
and it kept getting pushed off and kept getting pushed off. But like this person whose job it is to make, I think, and that the internet seems to think to make Lady Stoneheart come to life with prosthetics has been excited about this yes. as a challenge since the Red Wedding. I, I just, I just want to say, Trisha, I want you to be careful. Because one of the great things about this particular upcoming thing is that we can talk about it as long as we're careful without spoiling it. We can talk about Lady Stoneheart. But if you say any it's more... It's a prediction. It's a prediction, but still, I think... Yeah, does it it's count a, it, as a spoiler? I think though? we're getting... We're, we're, because this is, this is my theory or my position, because those of us who have read the books are seeing certain strands of storyline coming back to a plot point in the books... It's getting into spoiler territory. It's almost as if we said, oh, wait till you see what happens when they go to that wedding. <laughs> if you noticed, Fair enough. people are mad. So I think that we need to be careful as at this point, because otherwise we'll be we'll be ruining what might be a fun thing for people. You okay. know, speaking of spoilers, Lisa Labas, the local morning edition host here at WBEZ, yes. has been reading the books. And the other last week, the other morning, she came up to me and she said, Greta, I'm about to read the red wedding scene and I still don't know what happens so don't tell me but I might be getting in touch with you later if I need to like decompress yeah. and did I she? was she did I was just so impressed that she made it all this time it without is kind hearing of what, like she knew about the red wedding right yeah. but like she still didn't know what actually happened at the red wedding yeah. which is pretty interesting I don't know what happened in Lost I've never watched Lost I don't oh, care yeah. about Lost. Yeah. And if you don't watch or care or think about something, you can avoid spoilers. Yeah. yeah. I think the Just only saying. exception to that is Jon Snow coming back because it was on the cover yeah. of, of Entertainment, Entertainment Weekly that yeah. said Jon's alive. Yeah. Somebody tweeted at me like two weeks later, like, how could you spoil that? I was like, here's the cover of Entertainment Weekly. I'm pretty sure it doesn't count It doesn't count anymore. But yeah, so the prediction is, is that the Brotherhood Without Banners has been brought back for a purpose, that Sandor Clegane has been brought back for a purpose. And and everybody is converging on the Riverlands for a purpose, and we think we know what that purpose is, or at least insofar as it leads to next. Shall we head to King's Landing? Oh, let's. Town? I, I wish I could. Uh, we yeah, should man, have, we should get some we used to have, we, No, we used to have little flapping noises. We used to do, like the first season of this, we used to go, fuff, 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 uh, as we flew in the manner of a bird. I wanted Monty Python coconuts. coconuts. Yeah, I like Speaking the Speaking of Monty Python, I know I'm skipping ahead, <laughs> but why do the, all the guys from House Frey look exactly oh like And why do they get, they get all this stupid ear They're flat so headgear? They're so trashy. And they funny. just look like peasants from Monty Python and I the Holy Grail. I love it. They're so funny and yeah, goofy. Especially, will, yeah. yeah. And I, while we were on that point, and this is related to the last thing we were talking about, to be cryptic, have you noticed how that one Frey, I don't know what his name is, keeps saying that I'm the guy who slashed Caitlin's throat. That was me. I did that. Uh... Even though I am indistinguishable from all the other Freys <laughs> in our stupid ear flap cap, I would like everybody listening to me now, especially people who are watching at home, to know that I was the guy who slashed Lady Caitlin's throat. Here I am. Soon to be dead. Soon to be dead. Yes. We oh, yeah. See. Absolutely. Don't you think? No. Yeah. Okay, so King's Landing. King's Landing. Town, as you like to say. Um, Olena and Cersei, real talk. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I, that was a fun scene. Let's just listen to that. I wonder if you're the worst person I've ever met. At a certain age, it's hard to recall. But the truly vile do stand out through the years. Do you remember the way you smirked at me when my grandson and granddaughter were dragged off to their cells? I do. I'll never forget it. You love your granddaughter. I love my son. It's the only truth I know. We must defend them. 
I'm leaving this wretched city as fast as I can before that shoeless zealot throws me into one of his cells. If you're half as bright as you think you are, you'll find a way out of here too. Never. I'll never leave my son. What will you do then? You have no support. Not anymore. Your brother's gone. The High Sparrow saw to that. The rest of your family have abandoned you. The people despise you. You're surrounded by enemies, thousands of them. You're going to kill them all by yourself? You've lost Cersei. It's the only joy I could find in all this misery. One of the things I used to love doing when I was a playwright, and this is generally true, is writing really old characters, yeah. usually women, but not always, and very young characters. And the reason is those characters get to say whatever they want. Yeah. Very similar to the Dowager Countess. Yeah. And, uh-huh. and, yep. and so the great thing about Lady Olena is she can just be mean. <laughs> and because and it's almost as if we grant the old license to say or do whatever uh-huh. because maybe their role in the various games that they're playing are they're retired, not the case of Lady Olena, or maybe just they just have that freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's so much fun to say, you. Were, I don't know if you're the worst person I've ever met. <laughs> oh, I think good. you are. Oh, God, it was good. <laughs> it was very good. And everything she said was right. I mean, she said, you were so stupid that you did all this because of you. It's all, yeah, it's all true. Yeah. yeah. So do you think this confirms then that Marjorie obviously is scheming? Marjorie yes. is scheming. And I watched it. I, her, she, again, and I, I remember saying this about a prior scene last season. The actress who plays Marjorie, uh, Natalie Dormer, is really, really, really good at never winking to the camera that she's uh-huh. playing a game. Yeah. Uh, like in her scenes in Cersei prior to her arrest last season, she never sort of smirks. But there is one tiny little moment, uh, and you have to examine the shot carefully. She's in her chamber when the High Sparrow, Bernie Sparrow, comes in. Mm -hmm. And there's a shot of her face. The High Sparrow's behind her, so cannot see her face. And there's just the slightest change as she realizes that the High Sparrow has come in. I must now play this role. And then she turns around and she's like the devoted. Mm-hmm, yeah, she's, the thing oh, yeah, she, she did with she, her hands. She's doing that thing. It's hard. And her to, new dress is all covered up. And yeah. yeah, she's playing the part. Oh, I love yeah. her hair too because it's like it's clean, but it's still not actually styled the no. way it would be if she were in. the Although Trisha just pointed out something I I did not realize until you said it, which is the major transformation of Marjorie from where we've seen her before to where she is now is no cleavage. <laughs> yeah, no more harlot dresses. Oh yeah, my That's God, true. she rocked that cleavage like no. Yeah, no, it's full-length sleeves all the way up yeah, to the neck her, collar. Her, her prior gowns were designed like were like cast off in Bob Mackie for Cher. She was like, <laughs> you could see her sternum. It wasn't a good day for her. But now, yeah, she's all she's all I puritanical. Did, I did find the sparrow really creepy when uh-huh. he was like, Congress is, oh, yes. does not require Quiet. desire, just yeah, patience. Yeah, man, yes. that was pretty. I, there, there, I have, yeah. Did you guys have a, a moment of being creeped out when he said to her, I would like to ask you a personal question. Yep. I thought that was going to go in a really creepy way in terms of in terms of asking, let's say, asking her patience Oof, in yeah. Congress with him, maybe. But that was, uh, no, that's not the High Sparrow. That would have been a really bad, if, if to, to reveal after all this time that the High Sparrow is just like the High Septon that he replaced, just a creeper who pretends to be... Um, Pious would have been, I think, bad. But no, he's he's yeah. the real he's the true believer. He would never do that. Well, I think too, it shows us how close he and Tommen are now that they're chatting about this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. right. Tommen point. is totally in his pocket. Yeah, yeah. 
do you think that's justified based on what we I mean? The only thing that me to me that justifies it is Tom and is such a yeah, yeah. whiner. <laughs> yeah, he's a little. He limp. also has never had a legitimate father figure. So the sparrow certainly can fill that role for Tommen because Robert Baratheon was very young or he was very young when Robert Baratheon died. Robert Baratheon was not a father figure either. Yeah. Jamie can't be his father. Right. Joffrey was a terrifying, terrible oh older brother. God. Yeah. So it's the first male role model who does seem to not want to just Who's destroy nice to and whore and right. do terrible and, things. And we go back to the last episode where he actually rejected his own father. Even if he doesn't know that, that'd be Jamie. Mm-hmm. Uh, while his substitute father, as you say, stands right next to him. So that plays plays pretty well. So someone tweeted at us about Jamie like being able to take the throne now, now that he's no longer a member, member of, of the, the King's, King's Guard. He, well, th- the issue was not so much whether he could take the throne, but whether he could take his family's seat right. at, uh, at Casterly, Rock. Casterly Rock. Because he's not a Baratheon, even pretend Baratheon. No, yeah, so he has true. no claim to the yeah, throne. Yeah, he is, he is technically the... Um, the brother of the queen mother, which doesn't give him much of a claim. So I don't think it's got a nice little rhyme. Brother, I'm the brother of the queen mother. Yeah. (laughs) Just thought I'd throw that out there for a moment. So the queen of thorns is getting out of town. She'll come back at some point to hopefully try to get Loras out of jail. Yeah. And let's, let's talk about that before we leave this behind. So Marjorie, so the high sparrow says to Marjorie, I'm concerned about your grandmother. Body and soul. Exactly. Uh And, and, and that is not even a very veiled threat. Like, you remember what I've done to you, remember what I did to your mother-in-law, you remember what I'm doing to your brother, do you want me to do that to your grandmother because she is in opposition to me, so she'd better watch out. Mm -hmm. Marjorie's message, which is pointedly delivered under the watchful staring eyes of that uh, septa. Mm -hmm. Shame. Um, Shame. 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 That one. That one. (laughs) Is you must leave. So is Marjorie doing what? the High Sparrow wants, i.e. removing her from the playing board here in King's Landing, or it, does she have another game, a deeper game going? She hands her, the Queen of Thorns, a piece of paper, which we find out is a rose, the symbol of their house, which presumably indicates, I am loyal to my house, not to these clowns, don't mm-hmm. you worry. Mm-hmm. But we still don't know what Marjorie's game is. She's got one, but what is it? I'm not sure Marjorie always has an end game, but she's the ultimate survivor. Right. So she may not have a plan to get more power than she currently has, but she's pretty good at figuring out how to be the queen. Well, that's, I mean, but that's her game. I mean, in prior seasons, she successfully marginalized Cersei. She went very, quite happily from Joffrey to Tommen. From Renly. From Renly to, excuse me, thank you. From Renly to Joffrey to Tommen. I mean, her key line, I think it was season two was, oh, you want to, Littlefinger says, and I will do his voice, oh, you want to be a queen. No, she says, I want to be the queen. (laughs) So presumably that is still her game. um, And she has realized, I'm just spitballing, she's realized now that the High Sparrow and his forces are aligned with the king, so she must win over them as well to be queen. But I have a feeling, just based on that one scene they did with Loras and that what they brought back for a previously seen on, she's angry and she is going to have her vengeance. That'll be fun to watch. We know someone else is going to choose violence yes. next week. We yeah, finally that... saw that in the oh, next right. week. Oh, oh, I didn't see that. Yes. Okay. So Cersei's saying, they, you know, the the King's Guard is standing there. Or no, no, sorry, the uh, the Faith Militant with Lancel in the front says, uh, have your man step aside or there will be violence. And she finally, we see the thing that she said in the trailer for the whole season. I choose violence. Oh, I can't wait. will be fun. What a surprise that someone would do that in this TV show. <laughs> Real quick. 
That's Volantis, where the Iron Fleet is, right? Yes. Okay. So they're just kind of having a good time for a minute before they head on. Which, by the way, those must be very fast ships. This was another one of those moments yeah. Yeah. where I went, I don't understand how time and travel works in this world. And, and here's something for those of us who like to look at maps and on I looked at the map so much less. Because night. the Iron Islands is to the <laughs> west side of Westeros. Volantis is over in the east side. So in order to get there, they would have had to sail all, all the way, way around, around. Yeah. the uh, Dorn, the, the, yeah. the, the Westeros equivalent of the Cape of Good Hope. And and gotten over there in like boom like that as you say maybe they maybe the ships ha- are motorboats. It's <laughs> still so maybe they have motorboat motorboat go so fast. <laughs> but like in the same amount of time that the our friends at the wall have gotten like slightly farther south from the wall, <laughs> the Iron Fleet has gotten all the way to Volantis. So these yes. are very good ships. Yes, it doesn't make yeah. Sense. Well, I mean, it's it's one of those things where you just basically have to pretend that medieval limits on travel don't exist. Otherwise, <laughs> it was like, on this episode, they continue down this road again. Right. <laughs> Which we got a little of in yeah. this episode, to be yeah. fair. That's That's but I thought it was fun to see Yara basically give Theon an ultimatum that is yeah. like, you are either going to be Theon Greyjoy again, or you don't get to come on this fun trip we're about to go on, because we're going to get a I dragon think, queen, and it's going to be great. I think technically it was, you either should be Theon Greyjoy again, or you should kill yourself. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't so much you don't get to go on the fun that. trip. <laughs> I was glossing over that bit. <laughs> I, I have a weird complaint, and I bet this is going to get me in trouble. Oh, good. So we fi- I know how much you like that. So we find out that Yara is gay, at least for the moment, because you never know with these guys. Yeah. Okay. And so what that means is, like, they have Yara. Yara's a ship's captain. She's up there with her you know, brothers and every other ironborn and that she likes horning and wenching and drinking. Great. And that makes her presumably like her brothers or sons or whatever, she, you know, like, like a good ironborn guy. Why couldn't they have done the same thing, established that she's a, 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 a wencher to be non-gendered for a second and, and likes her recreational sex with a guy? Why couldn't she have like pulled over? Why couldn't we have met her? Was she like necking with some beautiful young twink? <laughs> throws him away, has her conversation with Yar with uh, Theon and says, I'm going to go fuck the balls off that guy before we leave. <laughs> That's I, fair. I like where your head's at. I like that you're uh-huh. thinking about this in sort of a uh, uh, egalitarian way, that yeah. it should have been just as easy. But I also think that we haven't seen really lesbianism. We've had us, uh, we've had Loras, a pretty prominent gay character, and Renly, but we haven't had a powerful lesbian yet in the show. Danny. So why not? Danny has dabbled. Danny dabbled a little. With the and, ladies. And, and that's, I mean, again, I don't, I mean, to the extent that they're saying, yeah, there are also lesbians and lesbians are cool. It's great. That's great. Um, yes. But why can't you have a woman expressing dominance and strength and power through Over sexuality dude. while not doing to women what men do to women. Mm-hmm. Why can't she do that to a man? And you can say, oh, yeah, she's dominant, but she also is, takes a woman's role. I mean, you know what I'm trying I mean, oh, yeah, to There's a cliche yeah. mm-hmm. that lurked under that thing is that lesbians are basically women who act like men, mm-hmm. i.e. she's going to wench, she's going to fuck the tits off that girl just like her brother Euron would do. Brother, uncle. Uncle, yeah. I don't know. Like I said. Well, and the fact that like you're still then subjecting a woman to... Prostitution, right, as opposed yeah. to and like, yeah, like that actually being sexually dominant over a male, and right? You know, and, and and the only and the only character I can think of on this show, uh, the only woman who uses men sexually in the same way that so many men and now Yara use women sexually, is Cersei uh-huh. when she says to Lancel, "Get back into bed." Exactly, <laughs> yeah. and Cersei is villainous. So what I, all I'm saying is, and sort would, of the Red Woman. 
kind of sort uses of sex appeal to get whatever she wants but from she, Gendry yeah, she, and she, then from Stannis. But she's more of a seductress. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think yeah. I, I don't think that I don't think the Red Woman has recreational sex, if you know what I mean. You know who uses <laughs> sexual appeal over men, but he's a dude, is in Scandal, and it's Cyrus Bean, which has always really fascinated me. Obviously, I'm checking, I'm checking my Twitter feed because I have but, no idea what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll show you. Yeah, this is this. Yeah, okay. So anyway, but like I said, it I, I would be fun to see that, yeah. and I don't know that I've ever. I can't even think of a time I've seen that. Well, there must be some times I've seen that. In uh, in other popular entertainment, I can't think. If if anybody can think of that, and you know, I think I've been articulate. I hope I've been articulate enough. A woman who has the same attitude toward recreational, casual sex as most men in popular entertainment does, but does it with men, and with the same way that so many male characters do it with women. If you can think of an example like yeah, that, yeah, that is it's the whole idea that if we get a female Bond, it'll be fun to have Bond boys instead of Bond right, girls. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, and and that that, and, that and, paradigm flipped on its head. And the key word you said was fun. Yeah. That it would be fun to see a woman having fun heterosexually with men in the same way. So she can be powerful. She can be, she can be empowered. She can be all those things. And yet at the same time be heterosexual. I haven't seen that. But I think Yara still gets points for being, I think, one of the first named characters who we now know to be at least bisexual, if not a lesbian. So that's just more representation. So yeah. I think that's cool. Well, I like I said, I, I give them points for that. But anyway. Let's head to River Run right after the break. You're listening to Nerdette Recap's Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and... Peter Sagal. So, River Run, Peter, how excited were you to see Braun again? Oh, so excited. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> Although, good. Although, those two. Much as with Tyrion becoming a little bit of comic relief, yeah. Braun is like a little bit of comic relief, especially after last season in Dorne. He's like, his job is to be sort of the wise cracking sidekick for Jamie, which is not as much fun as you could have with him. Like, I, I did love his line, oh, just don't fucking say it. You know, <laughs> Lannister I always don't, don't, fucking don't even. Don't I thought even. that was such a funny, like, nod to the audience, too, I thought, just yeah. in terms of, like, exhaustion with the show to yes, a certain yes, extent, yes, you know? Yes, yes, like, was a, oh, come on. My, 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 my friend Jess, who I consult with this, and so many of the ideas that I, uh, I say on this come sometimes from Jess, calls that lampshading. Yeah. I had never <laughs> heard that phrase before. That's when people on a show make reference to the existence of the show in the real world, mm-hmm. i.e., you've heard that line so many times, you don't, don't want to hear it again even. either. And we've talked prior in the sh- on this particular season how there seem to be other indications of that, that they know what we've been saying about the show, and they're aware of it and making it part of the show. So Jamie has quite an army he's marching with. Yeah. Where was that? Remember I asked? Where when, was that army? Where was that army before when somebody said, you know, you have the second largest, before right, they right. were planning their confrontation with the High Sparrow, and they said, you have the second largest army. Well, where's the first largest army? It's the Lannisters. Where were they? Well, where have they been, those 8,000 guys in really cool red armor? Uncle Kevin, who was King of the King, and Tommen both decided that they didn't want to take on the Faith Militant. So that was part of the problem, right, is Tommen didn't want to use force right. against... Right. Oh, yeah. We discussed. He didn't that. want to use force against the High Sparrow yeah. because he was afraid for the life of Marjorie. Would have been nice if they had pointed that out at one point. Because I'm just wondering where these guys were all this time. But here they are. They march in. Mm-hmm. Good thing. Good thing we were friends, says Bronn. Yeah. Um, and we have the Monty Python phrase that was pretty delightful. Was there a point to that whole sequence? 
except to get Jamie to the Riverlands because they had the big parley. Book readers can correct me if I remember correctly. In the books, Jamie goes to River Run, confronts the Blackfish, has a parley, and using far more persuasive skills than we get to see Jamie have in the TV show, actually convinces the Blackfish to give up the castle based on you're never going to win and all these people are going to die and this is pointless. I'll give you a better deal. Here it fails. I love that crusty actor who plays the Blackfish. Yeah, he's he's great. great. I like his scaly armor. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. And uh, But it came to naught. So now Jamie's standing there in the pile of mud with the phrase. It's so mud. But in the next week on, we see that Brienne says, if you can't convince him to not do this, we have to fight each other. So maybe it was sort of a little bit of a a stall because we need Brienne and Jamie to both be there. And they are going to somehow together kind of convince the Blackfish not to right. just lace Right. So you mean, I mean, so they're just sort of extending this negotiation? Yeah. Right. Like, oh, it, it worked, didn't work the first time, but here's another argument. Yeah. <laughs> I, they, have, I have now a more thought out argument in five paragraph form yes. on the scroll. Because <laughs> we, we had to fill 10 episodes. Yeah. I did like, again, I think the lampshading moment of this was, well, if you weren't going to say yes to this uh, ceasefire, why'd you come out here? Sieges are dull. That's true. The Blackfish says, I was bored, he says. <laughs> I wanted to take your measure. That was nice. I also liked Kingslayer, Blackfish. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was pretty good. fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I liked it. So this is jumping around a little bit, but I feel like it's relevant to this conversation more than the other. So maybe it's worth having right now what? who Sansa wrote the letter to. Littlefinger. Yeah. That's you my think bat. it was Littlefinger? In fact, I'm glad we skipped there because just as we were talking about how they have pl- maybe, based on the coming up on, playing out a single negotiation a couple of times so they can get more dramatic time out of it. Mm-hmm. Remember I said how when Sansa met Littlefinger, wherever they met, she was she should have said, oh, you have an army. I, I'm looking for an I, army. I'll take your army. Who else? Maybe she finally figured it out. Maybe she finally figured out that, yeah, that Littlefinger guy has an army. And as much as I dislike him, I could use an army right now. Yeah. And so she's finally, with you know, biting her lip, writing that letter and giving it. You know, you had the shot of the maester from Leanna Mormont with ravens. And she's clearly writing a little strip of paper that fits around a raven or a raven's leg. The only words you can read, by the way, if you look closely, are faithful and Winterfell and then her name at the end. Oh. I tried to see if I could catch oh, any true. of the others. You're so good. You are, you are really good. This so is you... the kind of thing that you do when you are not, lo- when you are not watching the show on a small phone. Right? <laughs> well, I've been watching the show on a TV for a while and I never, I never stop and freeze it and try to read things. You're very good. <laughs> So you don't think she wrote to Brienne to talk to the Blackfish? I feel like that's another possibility. You think that she's writing... Well, wait a minute. She sent Brienne... We almost forgot about Brienne. She sent Brienne down to Riverrun to to bring a message to the Blackfish, Mm -hmm. i.e., please come help. So she wouldn't be writing to the Blackfish now because she already sent Brienne. Well, she couldn't write to the Blackfish because he's under siege, right? Well, she could have written to the Blackfish. She sent Brienne because Brienne needs to be in the Riverlands for a fateful confrontation okay. coming up. Fine. That's why she okay. sent Brienne. Fair enough. But so now she's so presumably she's writing to somebody else. Who else is left to write to? Really, just little yeah. Figure. I don't know. I, yeah, I guess it just seemed like she really didn't trust him. So the extent to which she would now, but I guess she needs more than sixty-two. I folks. just rolled my <laughs> eyes. Sixty-two. She needs sixty-two more months. You know, I guessed that she was going to say seventeen. So I felt pretty good when I was sixteen. Really? Why did you guess? I knew it was going to be very few. Yes. Yes. It was going to be very. Few. By the way, somebody uh, pointed this out, but that is not her uncle, if I'm not mistaken. Her uncle is um, is Jorah. 
Is her uncle Jorah? Liana. No, Liana, the little girl. Liana's uncle. They're cousins. They're cousins. Because yeah. uh, the 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 bear. Because the commander of the Night's Watch Gior is Marmont. her uncle. They okay. say that several times, which okay. would make Jorah her cousin. Right. Okay. Sorry about that. God, how great was she? She was awesome. She was my favorite for they, sure. They have. We've talked about this before. We talked about it um, in regard to uh, Shireen. What's her name? I want to say, I want to say Bannister, but that's not right. Shireen Baratheon. Baratheon. Thank you, Bannister. Bannister Baratheon. <laughs> Bannister. Shireen Baratheon and other little, even including all the Stark kids in the yeah. first season. They have done a great job casting children. Yeah, she should just rule the whole thing. She was pretty. <laughs> There's awesome. been a lot of love. Enough of her small on the talk. Internet. Enough small yeah, talk. Man, she was just yes. so great. She I know what I wrote. <laughs> it's like everything she said. Oh, she was so awesome. Sassy. It was I perfect. It. I also loved how she leaned to her side to get advice, like somebody testifying totally. in front of the Senate. Yeah, to the maester on one side and her general or someone on the other. This is also the second time that I can think of. There may be more where Davos has has saved yeah, a very man. poor negotiation. The other time I can think of was when she, they went with Stannis to Bravos to get some money, and Stannis screwed it up. Mm-hmm. And they were like, we don't like you, Stannis. And Davos said, excuse me, I am Davos, and I have the gift of gab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really does. I thought, too, I don't know if it quite counts as lampshading, but the the argument he makes, essentially, is that, you know... I understand how you feel. I don't know you, sir. Davos, my lady of House Seaworth. You needn't ask your maester about my house. It's rather new. All right, sir, Davos of House Seaworth. How is it you understand how I feel? You never thought you'd find yourself in your position, being responsible for so many lives at such a young age. I never thought I'd be in my position. I was a crabber's son, then I was a smuggler, and now I find myself addressing the lady of a great house in time of war. But I'm here because this isn't Someone else's war. It's our war. Go on, Sir Davos. Your uncle, Lord Commander Mormont, made that man his steward. He chose John to be his successor because he knew he had the courage to do what was right, even if it meant giving his life. Because Geo Mormont and Jon Snow both understood that the real war isn't between a few squabbling houses. It's between the living and the dead. And make no mistake, my lady. The dead are coming. Is this true? Your uncle fought them at the fist of the first men. I fought them at hard home. We both lost. As long as the Boltons hold Winterfell, the North is divided. And a divided North won't stand a chance against the Night King. You want to protect your people, my lady, I understand. But there's no hiding from this. We have to fight. And we need to do it together. We all think that what really matters is the Iron Throne, when really this is about the living against Speaking the dead. of things that have been in the season trailer that we finally get to hear, and the dead are coming. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they sure are. You know when I began to think that, you know, remember we've talked about ad nauseum, George R. R. Martin's theory of good and evil and good and evil and fantasy about how Tolkien made the evil guys the Dark Lord and mm-hmm. the good guys or this. Well, in a weird way, as the Knight's King, who was, I think, for the first time mentioned in this kind of conversation, like we have to take on this guy, we actually have kind of made full circle back to just an evil force that mm-hmm. all everybody else, I mean, even though George R. R. Martin started this whole project by saying, no, good and evil aren't like that. There is no dark lord. They're people. People are evil. 
we've actually found our way slowly back toward something that will probably in the end look like the battle in front of the Black Gate from Lord of the Rings with the forces of evil and the forces of at least moderate good. (laughs) At least moderate good in this case. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so yes, Davos, Davos saved their bacon, but couldn't manage to do that with the other lord. Is that Lord Hornwood? Who was that? Glover. Glover, yeah. Glover. Yeah. Yeah, Which I, liked I was really Sansa disappointed tried. that it wasn't Danny Glover. Can I just say, Danny? I just wanted there to be like Danny and Donald Glover at House Glover again. Missed yeah, opportunity. That would have been pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I just I, you know this this was the the tour we thought they were going to go on, where it's like, okay, we'll go from house to house to house in person, and ask for men and i mean it was they're in the Deepwood mott right that's where house glover is so they've gone from bear island there and so the, all they have to do is sort you of did spend some time looking at a map i did yeah. i did i've been looking at the map so you know they've gone on the sort of western coast down towards winterfell and so they don't really have anywhere else to go when they end up at that camp where uh, davos mentions stannis camped here right before he went to winterfell we're meant to believe like okay they're about as close as i can get without mm. kind of going yeah, straight to war they're now forming there although weirdly i remember i don't know if davos remembers that that was where they were when um, our old friend uh, Ramsey, who we haven't seen in a while, showed up and stole all their horses. So Ramsey knows where that place is. So maybe it's not the wisest place to be. Maybe there's an indication that there will be a fight there rather before they get to Winterfell. Hmm. Who knows? I will say something, and this is just really for history nerds. One of the things that's very (laughs) unrealistic about the world of Game of Thrones is how little anything ever changes. We've served the Starks for a thousand years. Right. Really? A thousand years of unchanging feudal loyalty between a series of families and a, the no. And there's well, never an industrial revolution. There's never an industrial revolution, <laughs> which is another problem. But there's never uh, – basically what is happening now in Game of Thrones, which is another house has risen up. There's been warfare. There's been um, heirs like Ramsay taking over houses and changing its direction, mm-hmm. fighting with their siblings in other cases. That stuff happens all the time in real life. And it should have been happening all through the thousand years that they talk about. And so it's it, all I can think of when they say for a thousand years, really? Really? Well, now they have now welcome to the real world and to a certain extent. I don't know what kind of point I'm making. <laughs> I never know. Is it time for a jingle? Probably. I think that was too pathetic for a jingle. <laughs> I, know, I think Aww. you'd waste a jingle on now that. Now we just feel bad for you. No, that was not. You no, know, that was not me saying. Well, that's ridiculous. Let me just explain. <laughs> then you play a jingle. So, can we talk for just like two seconds about the inevitabilities of Game of Thrones? Like, it's, it's Sansa and Jon are going to take Winterfell, right? Like, is there any question that they won't? Well, I don't. I know. I mean, there's not much of Winterfell left at this point because it's been under siege and burned and all kinds of things have happened to it. But yeah, I mean, I think Ramsey has it coming. I think yeah. we've all decided that. I yeah. mean, if this season, if this series ends and Ramsey has the Iron Throne, I quit. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah, I I was just thinking about that. I mean, we've talked about this before. We talked about it in the context of like what potential ending there is. But yeah, I, I think that there are two things that have to happen prior to the end of this television show. One of them is that Ramsey's got to get it, as you say. Because nobody, I mean, especially if you're talking about the ending of a TV series, not Darth Vader spinning off to provide stuff for a sequel, but we're talking about the ending. Ramsey's got to get it. We know this. He's the worst person there is. And the other thing is that final confrontation, the battle of the Black Gate between the forces of evil and the forces of what passes for good. So those things are going to happen before or at the end of next season. And I think if they don't happen, as you say, all of us who've invested so much time will feel kind of bad about it. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's just really interesting. And I think that's part of why this season has been so great is because we finally are starting to see either things leading towards that or even just the payoff of like watching someone say, Theon, you need to start behaving like Theon, you know, and even the hound like going back to his potentially violent roots. It yeah. just seems like, yeah, it just seems like there's a certain inevitability to the things that are happening that like in former seasons felt a lot more meandering yeah, and I'm what, what excited but also a little worried. What you're seeing I think is something that's extremely rare in this television series and one of the reasons I think it's so appealing because it doesn't engage in this. Redemption. Yeah. What if Theon can be redeemed? He's been a part of this journey yeah. since his torture and his humiliation. He had a few rough years. He had a few rough years. I know he had a few rough years. And Sandor Clegane, who remember when we met him way back in the season one, was a conscienceless murderer. Right. You know, and the first thing he does is he murders that butcher's boy. Yeah, runs him down on his horse. Yes, he didn't run fast, he says. (sighs) So what if Sandor Clegane now, after his long journey in relationship with Arya, has become something different? What if... uh, Jamie, I think you can make that argument What if Jamie Jamie becomes something different? And what if all these people end up redeeming themselves at that battle or prior to that battle? Or during the battle at the Black Gate, which, of course, is a metaphor. I know there's no real Black Gate. <laughs> Don't write in. Look closer on the map. Maybe you'll find it. Well, there is a gate, now that I think of it. Speaking of writing in, we are going to get to your questions. But first, bravos. So, I mean, we're recording this on Monday morning. And before I came in, I read it like two or three other recaps that were like, what is Arya doing wandering around? Right. Like Being a friendly tourist, to strangers. Like a tourist in bravos when she knows... Like, oh, gee. She's like, well, everything's great. I've got money. I just booked passage. I got my sword back. Sure, I have enraged and betrayed a powerful order of assassins, but what could happen? Seriously. No, man. It also felt like a moment in a musical when she leaned up against the bridge. That was when she would have broken into song. Yes. Oh, bravo. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful, <sighs> bravos. I don't have enough That would have been her I want song. But. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think my latest internet uh, obsession oh, yeah. is the idea that the Waif and Arya are actually split personality of the same person. That the Waif and oh, Arya wow. are the same person. We never see anyone else interact with the Waif. That's not true. You except for Jack and Hagar. But the idea that like Arya is both of them then. So like and then we when they're fighting in the streets, no one like even really flinches is the is the theory. Is like it's kinda like in a beautiful mind how when you go back and watch the movie, <laughs> you realize who's there and who's not with John Nash because like the little kid is running through a field of pigeons and the pigeons don't fly away and you're like, Oh yeah, the kid's in his head and it's like that moment maybe where why when Arya's fighting Someone in the streets, do none of the other beggars or passersby ever even acknowledge them? I'll say this. I've said this about other internet conspiracy theories. You think it's dumb. I I just don't think it's... (laughs) I think it's dumb. Do we have a Peter thinks it's dumb jingle we can play to save time? We should ask It's just not necessary. It's like Fight Club, though, which makes it fun. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's just not, Otherwise, yeah. Arya's just being dumb and there's nothing fun about this story. So I'm just trying to salvage it. Can I give, yeah, you, yeah. Can I give you some fight choreography nerdery? Sure. This was pe- apparently people appreciated this last season. So the fight choreographers in this show are, are very steeped in like the history of filmed fight choreography. And, and they are a big fan of this particular fight choreographer whose name I used to know and is flown out of my old brain. but Who loves sticks. Who, like, who likes everything. <laughs> but among his great achievements, this particular fight, Thomas Hobbes was his name. William Hobbes, William Hobbes, William Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes is no, different. Calvin and Hobbes. William Hobbes, one of the greatest fight choreographers who ever lived. He's still alive, although he's very old and retired. He choreographed a great sword fight movie called Rob Roy, 
with Liam Neeson. Uh-huh. And they have already said that the big climactic fight between Sandra Clegane and Bram was inspired by the big climactic fight in Rob Roy. There is another moment in Rob Roy where Liam Neeson, who is held prisoner, escapes by jumping off a bridge. And I believe that Arya's escape from the Waif was directly inspired by that. So there you are. And it's a very cool scene if you happen to see it. Why is Fair she enough. able to just sort of keep walking through the streets after getting stabbed many times the in the whole stomach? Thing, the whole thing. that again because I wondered the same thing. She should be dead. The or at last, least struggling to move. The last time we saw somebody get stabbed like that, it was poor Rob's wife, whose name I can never remember, at the Red Wedding. Um, and, what, and this, I think, was intentional, although gross. That if you watch it, you think what you see is her, the wave, stabby, 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 stabby. <laughs> what she really does is she stabs and twists. Almost as twist. if she's sa- almost as if it's in response to Jacques and Hagar's make sure she doesn't suffer. Like Waif's like, oh, yeah, right. She's going to suffer. So I think there's an implication that the Waif, in order to torture poor doomed, in her view, Arya a little more, gave up the chance to finish her off and instead gave her an unpleasant wound rather than a fatal one. Oh, so you Isn't... think she knows that Arya has escaped via falling into the rope? Because that was well, the other she, thing. She... It was like, what, she just thinks Arya's dead now and is cool? Yeah, you know? I mean, she did have a little smirk as she yeah, looked like down. That, the little, to me, little was ridiculous. Also, like you're a professional assassin, and you're just gonna be like, "Oh, I got her. Yeah. She's oh, dead no. for sure." Yeah. Also, why? I mean, I get that maybe people wouldn't, r- not everyone would rush to save Arya if they saw her in the street. But why, when you see a girl bleeding in the street of Bravos, does no one? They all just give her a like stink eye. I no know, one even goes like. like well, no, no, no one, one very nice to her when her. she was blind and begging in the street either. It's not a very nice place. But you would think that someone would be like a human being. A human. Would, yeah. It's in some in some way, but instead they all just give her stink eye. Well, no one moves towards her, away from her. It's very they weird. Helped her, then she wouldn't be able to get to the theater troupe where she is obviously going. <laughs> Do you think she's just gonna like bloodily stumble to Lady Crane? Yep. And you remember. And again, another recapper pointed this out. Do you remember that moment when we were first backstage with the theater troupe and we got that big screen full of D? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why did we get that? Because that young actor was showing his screen full of D to some sort of physician. Oh, look, I think I've got oh, a wart. Oh, shit. So there's a resident physician. That was that briefly. Remember he really? says, well, yeah, he says, I mean, he says something. Like, Is that a wart? Could you yeah, look at yeah, that for yeah. me? So clearly there is some sort of maester, physician, whatever the equivalent is, hanging around with the theater company. So she is going back to the theater company. And remember that line that Lady, uh, what's her name, Lady Crane said to her. It all goes back to the D. It does. That Lady Crane said to her when, we, when they were having that conversation, again backstage, do you enjoy pretending to be other people? Mm-hmm. Yes, she does. So a number of people had predicted. Didn't you predict, Trisha, Trisha that she's going to join this theater company? That is where mm-hmm. she is going. Yeah, but to be that stabbed <laughs> and yeah, walk man. that far is just, all right, fine. Maybe it's Fair not enough. that far. Maybe the theater company is right by the coast. Let's hear from <laughs> some listeners. Let's hear their voicemails in just a minute. Okay, this is very exciting. Peter, I was able actually, I don't know, does a montage count if it's just two different people telling you you're wrong? 
Does that count as a montage or is it just two people? I feel like three is probably a, a proper montage. Maybe it's a, is it a medley? I think it's a medley. You think it's a medley? A duo. I th- I it's think... a duo. I think it's a duo. No, you can do a medley of two songs. I think it has to be three. No, I, I think I think you're wrong only because I've been to like concerts <laughs> where, where a medley has just where, been like, two songs. Like say Elvis Costello will start one song, he'll do another song in the middle, and then I'll go back to the original song. People say, uh, "Oh, we did a medley of those two songs." Okay. So I think it's a medley. I should medley... have gone back and forth. I didn't do that. I, I just the first half is one guy and the second half is the other guy. Here Let's you go. hear it. Hello, my name is Lee, and I'm calling from Fairfax, Virginia, to express my love for this podcast and to inform Peter that he is wrong. Specifically, he wrongly corrected the reference to the weapon used by the returned Benjin. While discussing the flanged, flaming, blunt instrument on the end of the chain, Peter said the weapon should be called a morning star rather than a mace. Weapon is in fact a flail. Hi, my name is Ethan from Yorktown. I just wanted to point out, you guys were talking about how Cold Hands slash Benjin had a morning star mace, but it's actually a flail. Uh, morning stars and mace are both connected to the hilt the uh, like pole and flails have the chains uh yeah that, that's basically it um i love your show just want to let you know partly i love the the amazing variation of delivery of yeah. these two gentlemen yes. you are wrong <laughs> you're wrong sorry i'm making fun of you yes i'm going to make fun of you because you remember what i said i said like the, the acneed virginal 14 year old in me mm-hmm. was trying to leap up and make mm-hmm. that correction but i was trying to repress him i failed you guys didn't even try you flailed i flailed <laughs> You guys didn't even try. You're like, well, well he's wrong. Yeah, that's, yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. yeah anyway, did. I just thought, it, I know you were corrected on Twitter, but I oh, want to make sure the listeners so. knew as well. It's pretty good. We also got some uh, some fart intel. Hi, this is Lindsay from Seattle, Washington. I love the show. I just have a brief comment on the um, infamous high cell fart. I have some additional intel about it. I believe it to be a reference or a a tip of the hat to medieval fun time land world, which was something that was done by bad lip reading, in which there is a hilarious fart sequence with Pycel at the very end. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Thanks. Love the show. Keep up the good work. First of all, I think Fart Intel should be the name of our follow-up podcast. Okay. Done. Um, but I, you know, that, that would be very funny because I've seen, I, mean, I assume this is a bad lip reading yep. video based on Game of Thrones, yeah. which are very, very funny bad lip reading guys. You guys are the best. So it would be funny if they knew about that and to use that term again, lampshaded that back into the show. I like that you think that the bad lip reading guys listen to our podcast. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> no, I think I've actually, the, dire- the showrunners watch bad lip reading and yes. put the bad oh, lip reading joke okay. back yes. into no, the No, but she, I did, I did, I did address the bad lip reading guys <laughs> directly. Good now. work. Yeah. But remember, yeah. on this show, I have also like directly addressed Daenerys Targaryen. Uh-huh. So <laughs> this is not <laughs> a stretch for me to imagine who's listening. Okay, here's another one. Hey, Trisha, Peter, and Greta. This is Greta's little brother, Jacob. Just saying, hey. Give up the good work. <laughs> He he really he left this like three weeks ago and was like Greta surprised me when you put this in. Okay, so can I uh, can I can I share with the listeners what you and I texted about last night? Yeah, totally. So Greta texts me last night before the show was broadcast and says, uh, "My brother, this Jacob. brother Jacob, wants to put like a Game of Thrones related line on." his Tinder profile, Mm -hmm. presumably to attract the nerds. And Jacob was asking me for help, and I was like, I don't know, man. And I went straight to Peter. Yeah, and so I came up with a a bunch, like, if there are, hey, hey, girl, (laughs) if there aren't one or two deaths at our wedding, it will be a dull affair. 
But my favorite that I came up with, well, hold on, there's Ned Stark on the streets, Oberyn Martell in the sheets. <laughs> but my favorite, and I hope he uses this, yeah, me he, too. is I'll keep going without finishing longer than George R.R. R. Martin. Those are all pretty good. Those are yeah, all pretty yeah, good. Yeah, he'll have to, maybe, he, maybe if, Jacob. I, I want him to do, use these and see what kind of nerdy girls he brings in. Yeah, right? Okay. So one more voicemail. Hi, this is Nick and Trevor uh, from Carlisle, PA. And we were just wondering, so with Davis's recent success with Liana Mormont, do you think he should just give up knighthood and perhaps open the Seven Kingdoms first daycare to honor Shireen Baratheon? R.I.P. Thank you. I think a Montessori school is more appropriate for the yeah. ages of these children than a daycare. <laughs> no, he but can, I like it. He can be like a he can be like Eliza Hamilton. He can open an <laughs> orphanage. Oh, there you go. Good. We got our Hamilton. Yeah, references. it's important That's to get that in. That'd <laughs> so be very nice. One thing about those guys that we especially love is that they actually called us right after the episode aired yeah, last I night, that. which is pretty cool because then it's like the most recent thing that we can talk about, which yeah. is exciting for us. So think about that next Sunday yeah. as you are watching the show out there, dear listeners. Listeners, you can call us right afterwards with your burning questions, and we'll try to get to them first thing Monday on the podcast. That's 312-948-4687. You can find us online at nerdatpodcast.com or on Twitter at nerdatpodcast. He's at Peter Sagel. I am. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us because, in fact, you are already listening to us. But we would appreciate it if you would subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on NPR One. Just search for Nerdette Recaps. The show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault and Robert Anderson. Thanks also to our interns, Maya Cole and Seabird Mallard. Joel Meyer is our executive producer, and our theme music is composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. Is that it? Any final Yeah, try those things on Tinder and tell me how you do. <laughs> what if everyone started doing that? I think that would be awesome. <laughs> or tweet more suggestions yeah, at yes, Tinder. Yes, and yeah, 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 yes. yeah. More, more, more Tinder. Send I, I, them a Lord Game of Thrones pickup line. I don't use Tinder, so I don't know exactly. So do you, you give your picture... And then you have like a line, a brief that, bio, a brief yeah, bio. It's like three lines. So you're I trying think. to like capture somebody's attention very quickly. Yes. Okay. Yes. So if you guys can think then of more Tinder specific <laughs> Game of Thrones pickup lines, tweet them at us. <laughs> oh boy! No, this is gonna be good. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.